So it's a chilly spring morning. Chilly spring. Yes, chilly like spring it. morning too. And I'm in a totally different country. Okay. I was in London. Oh, right. Well, it would have been chilly. I was walking through the streets of London towards the War Rooms, which is a wonderful museum, the Churchill Museum in London. And I'm walking down the street with my mate, Stuart, and I'm looking at all the buildings around me and yep. I'm thinking, my God, there's a, a, a diverse and ill-matching style of architecture in London because you've got that sort of like Bauhaus brutalist modernist over here and mm. then you've got something awfully 70s there and then you've got something that was obviously built back in the 16th century over here. It's a hodgepodge. It is. And I turned around and my mate went, what's with this? Why, why is there no, like... Basic sort consistency. of consistency or style. Yeah. Where's the style guide for London? And he then started pointing to buildings and he went, Muslim extremist, uh, the Blitz, and then you know, just pointing on these buildings. They've all been blown up by different people. Right. right? And then he went, and the IRA. Yes. And I suddenly went, the IRA? Whatever happened to the IRA? Yeah. So today, I thought we might have a little chat about the IRA and what they got up to, or just Irish extremism in general, in Australia. It's pretty intense. Let's do it. You're listening to iSpide, the pot of gold at the end of the intelligence rainbow. Sure, and let's have a glass of Jamisons to celebrate the episode. Hello and welcome to I Spied. My name's Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan and today we are talking IRA. Well, Irish extremism. Irish extremism? I mean, I'm Irish. Uh, really? Callan. Oh, Callan okay. is an Irish name. There you go. But here's the thing. I, I, I stride both sides of the Irish Sea. <laughs> okay. I am Irish and English and also Swiss. Right. And a little bit Jewish. <laughs> a little bit of this. Very tiny. And we need to put this in historical context. Okay. Because right? Australia has always had a big Irish population. It's mm. been a very Irish kind of country. We are quite Irish. Yep. We're going to go back, way, way back to 1804. Okay. This is one of the very first real Irish insurrection type things that happened in Australia. And it was one of the very first rebellions. In fact, one of the only rebellions we had. Mm. And we've had probably two and both of them were pretty Irish. Right. But we're going to have a look at this thing. It was called the Castle Hill Convict Rebellion, also known as the Second Battle of Vinegar Hill. Vinegar Hill being a battle in Ireland during the Irish Rebellion, which also set this whole thing up. Right. Now, what happened? Irish rebels during the Irish Rebellion were being transported to Australia without trial to suffer in exile. I just went, well, you know, the English, yeah, gosh, what are you going to do with all these bloody Irishmen? Let's put them on a boat and send them to Australia. So they sent them down to Australia without trial and they're exiled. So they're hanging around Australia not knowing what to do. Meantime, Australia is now the number one place to visit. Oh, they? it is. Yeah, like. Totally. <laughs> I love how it's like, we'll send them to Australia. Now the Irish are like, oh, fiddly dee potatoes, let's go. Yeah. It's nice and warm down there. Yeah, I was going to say, and Ireland wasn't in this time doing too well. They were living on potatoes and Well, you had the whole diaspora thing, the yeah. potato family. And all that yeah. sort of stuff's going on. Now, one guy who came out on a boat and also then tried to take over the boat, so he's got form. I like this guy. Irish Rebellion by the name of Philip Cunningham. Yep. Philip Cunningham had led a mutiny on the Anne, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, was brutally suppressed. And he was thrown into the colonies and there he is, stuck in the colonies. And he went, all right, I'm going to take it over. Okay. I'm going to take over the entire colony. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. So 12 convicts. To be sure, to be sure. To be sure, to be sure. Here we go. Let's, oh, Philly D potatoes. I'm going to say that a lot. I'm really sorry to every I'm Irish listener. Philly D potatoes. Philip Cunningham organises a rebellion yep. with another guy by the name of William Johnson. Yep. Not to be confused with another person who we'll talk about in a sec. So William Johnson and Philip Cunningham organise this rebellion, but the thing is they had the they had the skinny on the whole project. They mm. knew what they were going to do because 12 convicts 12 months earlier had escaped and gone right from Parramatta right up to the Hawkesbury River, mm. which now sounds pretty simple. You just get on the M2 and away you go. Yeah. But back then it was pretty hardcore. It was a marshy, big walk. The marshy, swampy, swampy bushy, yep. yucky. And while they did that, they re- reconned the entire area and they knew where all the farms were. They knew where all the convicts were. They knew mm. where all the overseas were. They knew where all the armories were. Really important point. So what happens is somebody sets fire to their own house in Castle Hill one night <laughs> as a signal to start the rebellion. Huzzah! We're off. I'm going to set fire to my house to yes. start the rebellion. Yes, exactly. 685 convicts up in the Castle Hill district okay. are going to meet up with a 1,100 convicts in Parramatta and Sydney and take over the colony. Okay. They're going to declare it a new Irish Republic and they're going to commandeer all the ships and anybody who wants to go back home to Ireland to take the rebellion back home is free to go. Okay. Only problem was a lot of people did not see this guy's house burning. Oh. Okay. So So there was five of them. (laughs) No, it wound up being around about two, 300 people. Okay. Now, and the thing is, not a lot of them were really hardcore rebels. A lot of them were convicts. It was like, Royce, you're going to join us in the rebellion or we're going to beat the crap out of you. It's like, oh, okay, let's go. We better go and join these idiots. Right, here we go. Ooh, ah. Right, because all the convicts were cockneys. Cockneys and Irish, apparently. Cockneys and Irish. Yeah. The worst combination you yep. can have, unless you throw in something like Manchester or, of course, North Country. Anyway, okay. so these guys march on Parramatta. Yeah. And as they go through, they're recruiting convicts or press ganging them into it. Yep. And, of course, they're stealing as many weapons. At one point, they had one-third of all the weapons in the colony. Well, that's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty good. Of course, what happens in old Sydney town? They find a pub. Governor King craps himself. Oh, okay. Calls posse comitatus. Yep. Uh, we don't want a posse comitatus is. For no. those of you. Oh, you don't know. Uh, the Latin meaning power of the country. Okay. Essentially, the government is allowed to set up a posse. Okay. So they set up a posse and they bring out the militia and they also bring out the New South Wales Rum Corps. Now, in the Rum Corps was a major, a major by the name of George Johnston. Now, in full disclosure, I am descended from George Johnson. Really? Yeah. No. I'm half Irish and I'm half bastard Scottish Englishman who represses Irishmen. I I don't sleep well at night. I look in the mirror and I go, I hate me. But you like whiskey. Oh, hell yeah. I like Irish and Scottish. I am striding that little sea. So anyway, George Johnson gets, he had about 97 men. 97. 97 men. About 97 men. Not about 100. 30 soldiers, 29 troopers and one mounted soldier. The one mounted soldier being... George. Yeah. Right. Now, George, by the way, is quite famous in the colony already because he led the Rum Rebellion. Okay. Oh, no, not already. He led the Rum Rebellion after King left and Bly came in. So he was going to go into the future. He was one of the leaders of the Rum Rebellion. Okay. Uh, Also, he is the first person to ever – he's the first recorded DUI in Australia. On a horse? In his cart. Oh. He owned Annandale. Right. right. All of Annandale, the whole suburb of Annandale, we, we owned it. The family owned it. And then someone drank it. Go figure. <laughs> um, what happened was uh, the night before the Rum Rebellion, he and the conspirators met in Sydney, had a drunken dinner. Yeah. And then he was, was drunk. It, were they drinking rum? <laughs> what 
else are they going to Yeah, okay. I'm just wondering if that's where the name came from. And they're heading back. Well, they, they it's called the Rum Rebellion because the 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 Corps of Soldiers were paid in rum. Rum right. was the currency at the right. time. Right, and also they were drunk on rum when they came up with the idea. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So anyway, he crashed his cart on his his carriage on the way back to Annandale because he was drunk. Yeah. Um, you know, two troopers found him going, yeah, what's your problem? Right? You know, I was fine. I, no, I've only had a couple of drinks, mate. Yeah, sorry, blow in the bag. Blow in the sheep. Um, yeah. Uh, and in fact, one of the portraits of Johnson on the day of the rebellion has his arm in a sling. So okay. he had his arm in a sling. But anyway, wow. this is pre-Rum Rebellion. He's, he has been sent out to suppress this rebellion. So he rides out to Parramatta where they're meant to be. They're not in Parramatta. Yep. Because they didn't have as many people as they thought, Cunningham suddenly went, this could get bloody and a bit gritty, so maybe we should just back off a little. Yep. During this time, this is what I really like, they declared the colonies the new Republic of Ireland or the Kingdom of Ireland and they made him king. Okay. They made Cunningham king. King Cunningham. King Cunningham. Okay, great. He's like, Dude, really? Like he's probably just like, hey, guys, just settle down. Now, one of the great things was there were guys that defected from the rebellion, namely two guys. Uh, one was an overseer and one was a convict. So Sloan and Bolger were the two guys that defected. Right. But also a lot of the guys were being captured because they couldn't keep up with the main body of the troops. So they defected from the, the rum rebellion. Rebel- no, from the rebe- rebellion. From the Irish rebellion. Into the rum into the rum call. Well, did rum they, call. they went to the government and went, hey, look, we don't want anything to do with this. Here's and by a the white way, flag. By the way, they're okay. heading out to Kellyville. Okay. They're on the M2. They're, they're yeah, I'm like... The, they stopped at the toll gate. <laughs> uh, no one has a dinger to get off the, the M2 so you can catch them. Yeah. So essentially what was very interesting was every time they picked up a convict or mm. one of the rebels, the rebels had been instructed to say, we're crossing the Blue Mountains and walking to China. Okay, wrong way. Yeah, right, just to put them off the track. Anyway, they caught up around about Kellyville on Constitution Hill, I think it's called out there. There is a plaque out there and, of course... It's about west of Sydney. Yeah, west. Northwest. Northwest. Hills District. Yeah. If you're at Richmond, you've gone too far. Yes. Uh, So anyway, they get up there. These guys are trying to make their way to the Hawkesbury where they get to Constitution Hill and they're up rocks Johnson with his... 90 guys, or yep. 97 guys, 97. they all rock up. He's also sent a detachment of troops around the back. So he's stalling for time at this mm-hmm. point. He's sent a detachment of troops to outflank the Irish to attack from the side and it's all going to be good. But he calls parley. Okay. And Cunningham and Johnson come down the hill and then Johnson and a corporal pull out their pistols and arrest them. So, okay. Which is not parley. No. It's actually really uncool. No. As yeah. soon as they arrest them, the troops charge the rebels and they start killing them. They killed 15. Oh, not very nice. No, it's not. And also at one point Johnson had to pull his pistol on his own troops to tell them to stop because they were going to kill them all. Oh they were going to kill 230. It's a bit aggressive. Right. It was very aggressive. 15 killed in battle, yep. nine executed afterwards. Two were gibbeted. That's actually hung in chains. Oh, my gosh. Seven were flogged between 200 and 500 times. Well, this is very brutal. 60 sent to the mines in Newcastle. Oh, God. Yeah. God, I have to go to Newcastle. That's a train journey. Yeah, the mines are okay. Yeah. Newcastle's yeah. the problem. And a, a lot of the others were sent to Norfolk Island to take them out of the area. Well, it's quite nice, though. There. And very nice. Yeah. Very nice. The rest of them were pardoned. Because a lot of them said, look, sorry, press gang, I had nothing to do with this. They yeah, said yeah, I yeah. have to join or they're going to kill me. And the other thing they did was they it's now Rouse Hill where it is. Basically, if you want to know where it is, it's Rouse Hill. Right. And they gave it to Rouse 
because they didn't want it to become a focal point of rebellion. Okay. Very smart, very, very clever way of just like going, let's just give it a new name, knock it off. There's a memorial plaque that was put out there during the bicentenary. Mm. But otherwise, that was the first real and other than uh, the next one, Eureka, that was really the only sort of rebellion. But it was very Irish and it was very, very Republican. Yes. Right. Now we have the Eureka Stockade, which was 1854, led by another Irishman, Peter Layla. Okay. So basically they turned around and said, we're sick of the way the British troops shooting at us every time we try to do something. Um, we're not happy with it. And, of course, we had the Eureka Stockade. Now what it actually did was it actually made it, meant they had a new constitution created right. in Victoria. And Doc Evatt, great Labor leader that he was, mm. um, said that that's the day Australian democracy was born at Eureka. So that's pretty much it for real hardcore yep. Irish extremism in Australia. It stopped there. Okay, well, because then everyone just discovered that alcohol was pretty prevalent and they could just have a good time. Mm. Now, you'd think that. Okay. But this is the really interesting thing. We now leap forward to 1920 to 22 where we had the partition of Ireland, where they made Northern Ireland and then Ireland. Yeah, yeah. So Ireland became its own own country and Northern Ireland became a separate state. Yeah. And that was where the problem started. Uh, essentially, the British government gave the Irish administrators or the English administrators in Northern Ireland, it was basically called the Special Powers Act, where yep. they could arrest and detain people without charge Yeah, right, to try and quash it. Now, a lot of people think it's Catholics versus Protestants, which is kind of accurate because the, it is. the Catholics in, Ireland were, in Northern Ireland were yep. a minority and they really, really wanted independence. And, of course, most of the Protestants were loyalists and they really wanted to stick with the UK. Mm. This is all good until March 1966. You know, there's a lot of ructions, a lot of, you know, protests, but it was March 1966 when the IRA, the new IRA called the Provisional IRA, blew up Nelson's Pillar in Dublin. Right. Blew it up. The Reverend Ian Paisley. I don't know if you ever heard the Reverend Ian Paisley. He talks. <laughs> it's a real Northern Ireland accent. He organised a loyalist militia, and then like a, an ex-English soldier actually set one up. Called his name was I love this Gusty Spence. Gusty Spence. Gusty Spence. Nice. Too many potatoes with onion. Yeah. Um, Gusty. <laughs> uh, they all started setting up loyalist militias. Yep. Ian Paisley declared war on the IRA on the twenty-first of March, in nineteen sixty-six. Oh, 21st of May. On the 27th of May, the shooting began. Right. And that is where the IRA really came into their own. Right. So the IRA are off to the races. Right. Now, for the next 30 years, we have what's called the Troubles. They call them the Troubles. That's what they call them. That's so yeah. Irish. So Irish. <laughs> yes. Bombs going off, people being oh, shot. It's a bit of a know, trouble. Kneecapping. Gosh, yeah. fiddly dear, that's a, there's a lot of troubles going there's on. There's a lot of there. troubles going on. All in all, 3,500 people killed. It's crazy. Yeah. 50,000 casualties. Yeah. 116 people were killed in Ireland itself, like the Irish Republic. Yeah. 125 or thereabouts in the UK, 18 in Europe. Here's where Australia comes back into the picture. Yep. Because the thing with Irish extremism, and it's a very, very clever thing they did, Ireland didn't have any action outside of Europe. Well, no. America, they didn't touch. Australia, they didn't touch simply because 
that was where the money came from to pay for everything. Right. One of the things that we saw a lot of, and you know, I, I remember seeing because um, the Irish did incredibly well in the in the US and oh, in Australia. Basically, every policeman in the yeah. US for a long time was either Irish or Italian. Yes. I mean, it was this really, really solid core, very strong community. And the big thing was the IRA knew. Any of that, the Sinn Féin, the IRA, all of these different organisations within Ireland, mm. the Republican organisations knew if they did anything wrong in either America, Australia, any of their these little sponsor countries, mm. they were going to lose their sponsorship. And that all came to a massive head in uh, 27th of May, which again, funnily enough, so essentially 24, 34 years later, 24 Oh, your math. My math. 24 years after the shooting started in the Troubles, two Australian citizens were killed. Okay. In Europe. The IRA figured something out. British soldiers that were posted into Europe had special plates on their cars. Okay. So what they were doing, they were just like anybody who had that special plate, they were just opening up on. Right. And it was a free-for-all. It was getting really gritty out there. I mean, I mean, 18, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot of people to kill, mm. right? And a lot of them were just two guys rocking up with automatic weapons and just firing them into the car. Gangster. Two Australian lawyers who were living in London, one's married, one's got a girlfriend, Nick Spanos and Stephen Melrose, take their girls over to Europe for a weekend in the Netherlands. Oh, and they borrow a car. They have a British car with British plates. Because the English just turned around and went, look, if we keep giving them specialised plates, they're marked, so they can just have English plates like everybody else. The IRA, of course, went, hello. Basically, there's a good chance if it's a British car, it's a British soldier. We'll shoot at that. So these guys walk out of a restaurant with their girls, with the wife and the fiancé. They're walking up to the car. Two guys jump out of the dark, shoot both men. Oh. Dead. Oh. Right. They just drop to the ground. The two girls are standing there, left staring at these dead bodies. The two blokes run off into the night. The Australian government then turned around to the IRA and went, what the F and F do you think you're doing? Yeah. To which they went, and I quote, this is great. <laughs> the IRA said the inc- the incident was a tragedy and a mistake. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. So, Our bad. <laughs> oh, do, oh, do I, well, oh, my God. Oh, what was I thinking? Oh. Right. That was oh. terrible. Oh, oh sorry so about sorry. that. Uh, really, sorry. Yep. Oops. Right. <laughs> no way. Doesn't work. No. Bob Hawke was actually quite visceral in his response. He said it was the, the apology that the IRA gave was twisted, too late, and meaningless. Yeah. And that really started sowing a few seeds of problems for the IRA and the Sinn Féin. Because suddenly Australia was like, oh, hang on, you're shooting us. Yeah. Now, this is a thing that it becomes a big, strong theme with a lot of terrorism in Australia. Remember our Yugoslav episode two weeks ago? Yeah. What was the first? Australia went, yeah, well, they're shooting each other. We're, we're, not we're really okay until you start shooting us. Well, we, we, you shot us, right? The one we will look at down the track is the Bali bombing. Yeah. Where 88 Australians were killed. That suddenly became a huge issue for Australian yes, intelligence. Yes, it is. So the Australians, like when this happened, Australia was already, like Asia were very focused on Ireland. Yeah. It wasn't a big target, but it was a target. Yeah. And mainly what they were looking at was they were using their intelligence essentially to see where the money was coming from and where it was going, which then they could inform through intelligence exchange with the UK to say, look, we've got this money and it's going in that direction. So we just needed to stop the money. Yeah, and this is a thing we will look at as well. It's a a complete episode is how terrorists are funded. I mean, yes, and that's something, you know, it came out with the whole banking 
stuff. The, the Banking Royal Commission, yeah. yeah. A lot of stuff came out with that. There's a lot of stuff through Austrack and things like yes. that where the money goes and how – but also how terrorists fund themselves outside Australia, right? Because not only were the IRA killing people, the IRA were – like there was a bank robbery in I think it was mm. either Ulster or it might have been Dublin. It was – one of the other, or maybe Belfast, they they had a, it was a bank robbery where they got away with like eighty million pounds. Yeah, that's huge. Now, that's a that, huge amount of money. That buys a lot of like guns. fertilizer and diesel. Yeah, and yeah, well, guns. And the Irish, the IRA, well, the Irish Republican movement, it's had some very very dodgy connections as well. There was meant to be uh, the Nazi Germany were meant to be sponsoring Irish Republicanism to again disrupt the UK war effort. Yeah. So essentially this is what's happened. Australia has suddenly lost two people to the Republican movement. And they're like, enough, we're out, come on. Well, Australian government went very, very anti-Ireland. Yes. Very, very anti-Republican. Interestingly enough, Gerry Adams, who is the head of the Sinn Féin, which is the political arm of the IRA, Gerry Adams, who is now, I think, he's definitely in the Irish parliament. Yeah. The, the, the author. Because I think it was it's an autonomous zone. I can't remember. They're sort of kind of inkling their way to a kind of independence. He's in that little Irish parliament in Northern Ireland. He came out to Australia during the Australian Republican referendum. Yeah. He came out to talk because uh, the Republican movement looked at the Irish, the Irish Irish country, not Northern Ireland, but the Irish constitution and went, that's actually a really good model yeah. and would work very well because we are, we'd be moving from a constitutional monarchy into a republic and that's what the Irish essentially did. They were yeah. moving across. So he came out because their, their work with the Republican movement in Northern Ireland, he came out to Australia to advise the, uh, the Australian Republican movement. In doing that, John Howard basically, he said, you know, I really want to meet with the Prime Minister. John Howard refused. John Howard basically turned around and went, no, you're a member of a, a political organisation with affiliation to a terrorist organisation. Yeah. We are not buying into this. The interesting thing about this, and it comes down to the normalisation of a mm. terrorist movement, right? So the IRA and Sinn Féin were a hardcore terrorist movement. Now they become pretty much, they've been marginalised and homogenised into a political movement. Sinn Féin yeah. is now a political party. But now there was still that idea that oh, John Howard saying, I refuse to meet with you, you're a member of a... But they become part of the system. Terrorist organisation, exactly. Now, the whole thing with Irish republicanism in Australia is there's a lot of Australians that are Irish. Yeah. I mean, Ned oh, Kelly, a lot of people said Ned Kelly was an Irish Republican and an Irish rebel mm. because of the Geraldry letter where he basically turned around and said, you know, we will not stand this oppression from the police, and namely that copper over there who keeps hassling me more. Right? <laughs> uh, so bottom line with the IRA in Australia is they were never active in Australia operationally. They were very active uh, monetarily, financially, they I was were very say, active. But we fed, we fed the system. We fed their their organisation. Yes. Interestingly enough, after nine eleven in the US, the IRA became persona non grata, even oh. within the Irish community. It was like, no, nope, you're terrorists. We don't no, terrorists are bad. Bad terrorists. All terrorists bad. Even if you're doing something we like, you're still bad. And American money really dropped off for the IRA to the point where Australia was, I think, the second or the or the number one donor to the Republican movement in Ireland. Since then, I think it has again tailed back. It has simply because the IR the Sinn Fein has now become a legitimate political movement. Yeah, and I think there's a little less for them to be angry about. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, now you two is out there. <laughs> But you know, we a lot of money came 
out of Australia for the cause. That's C A U S E, not C O R R S. Not for the cause. Not, yeah, the cause. not for the not for the you Irish have to group. Let it linger. Let it linger. <laughs> linger. I mean, a lot you of money to, went there as well. A hell of a lot of Australian money went there. <laughs> Too much, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So the bottom line. Republicanism in Australia, like Irish Republicanism, was really very like almost zero yeah. after Federation. But it was it was quite active in Ireland. Like oh. there was a lot there was a lot going on over there. And the fact that we were contributing in some small way kind of, you know, speaks volumes. It does. That's one of the things that we do have to look at ourselves is like when we are giving money to the Northern Ireland mm-hmm. aid organization. Where is it really going? And and that is something that is happening nowadays and something we'll probably look into in a further app. Most definitely. Yep. Cool.